And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Hong Kong International Literary Festival starts tomorrow and Radio 3 is partnering with the Lit Fest to bring you and introduce you to some of the writers. And today I'm delighted to be joined by award-winning Irish author John Boyne. So listeners may know um, John as uh, the author who wrote The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. So John, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. I know you just got off the plane from Dublin last night. Yes. Feeling okay? Feeling a little, little jet-lagged, little jet-lagged. But, you know, I'll survive. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. So you are going to be very busy at the Lit Fest. You're participating in four events, including opening night, right? Opening night tomorrow night at, at the Fringe Club, and then uh, three more events after that, and a school session. So I'll be kept kept busy. You will be kept, there'll be no time to for your jet lag to kick in. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just let listeners know that we're on Facebook Live as well, so if you'd like to uh, go to my Facebook page, Karen, on RTHK Radio 3, you can see as well as hear John there. So... John, let's talk about, we won't have time to talk about all the sessions, but um, the ones apart from opening night. So there's one that you're involved in called My Brother's Name is Jessica. Tell us what that's all about. That is uh, to do with my most recent book for young adults. As some of your your listeners might know, I write books for adults and for young people. And this, uh, My Brother's Name is Jessica, came out earlier this year. Uh, It's a novel about a transgender teen, uh, which is a a big subject, certainly, I think, around the world now. Uh, But it's narrated from the point of view of the teen's younger brother, who is um, watching this experience unfold before him and is confused about it and asking questions. And sometimes those questions are uh, insensitive questions, and you know, trying to understand it as we all as we all do. So it's um, it's it's a book about that. It's my sixth book for young people, and uh, so I, I guess I'll be talking about that whole experience. Okay, and you're going to be um, in conversation with um, Dr. Brenda Allegre uh, from Hong Kong University. And when you think about, you know, thankfully, gender issues and gender diversity are f- far more in the public domain than than they were years ago. But where do you see the conversation going, especially in in making it um, normal, especially among young people? I, I think among young people, it, it has become normalised. Normalised, actually, it's prob- it's usually sort of about older people who have, you know, the more sort of prejudicial right. um, view of these or things. More uncomfortable. That uh, more uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think kids in schools and teenagers, if anything, they're they, that age group tends to embrace difference and embrace, you know, uh, individuality. Certainly, you know, I've done a lot of school events. Every time I bring out a kid's book, I do, and uh, I do find that kids actually uh, embrace their. Uh, classmates who are, I suppose, different in some way, whether they're gay or lesbian or or trans, um, they're 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 a lot less judgmental, I think, young people than than perhaps the the older generation are. So hopefully we will have some uh, older generation attending that event. So it's kind of break down some barriers and, and get them involved in the discussion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're still at that point where books and novels and so on are, are being written about this. And it's becoming a more uh, a subject that's more out there in the culture and that people are talking about with more, um, you know, more freedom. And uh, and that's, a, that's only a good thing. I mean, when I started to write this book, one thing I felt was that there wasn't really a book for, for young kids, you know, sort of 12, 13, 14 who either might be going through the experience themselves or with no uh, other young people who are or have siblings who are or are just interested in it and just want to, 
you know, to know more, a little bit more mm. about it. Have you had feedback about the book? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was when it came out first. I mean, the, the problem we have nowadays, of course, is online. You know, that a lot of people, when it, in fact, before the book came out, there was a lot of criticism online from people who, in fact, hadn't read the book and, and right. said they hadn't read the book. Okay. You know, we do live in this kind of like woke culture that uh, because I myself, I'm not trans, people saying, oh, well, you can't write that story because mm. it's not your story to write, which, you know, as a novelist, I just think is, is a crazy idea. I mean, the, otherwise no one would ever write stories. It that... would just be autobiographies. You yeah. know, that's all it is. And I mean, I, I always think the worst advice is write what you know, what you should write what you don't know and learn about it and get into it. And as a writer, your job is to put yourself in the, the mind of, of other people and experience those lives. So it was, it was a bit tricky, but, um, and, and you know, it can be a very dispiriting uh, experience with Twitter and all the kind of social medias. I was only just this morning, uh, I saw this thing on, uh, online, which I was pleased about. So it was Barack Obama uh, actually kind of taking this down a bit and saying, you know, the people who go online really and are just sort of calling people out and saying, you know, I'm more, I'm better than you. I'm mm. morally superior to you. It's so easy and it's so lame. And, right. you know, and actually that's not activism, he said. That's, you know, it's just throwing stones yes. when uh, actually the people who are out there, you know, writing books or writing plays or, you know, uh, Actually doing something. Actually doing something, <laughs> not just sitting behind keyboards and screaming about things. You know, whether those books are good, bad or indifferent, well, at least they're trying, you know? Yeah, at least they're putting themselves out there and yeah. there's a point of view being put put out. Yeah. And a debate being started from yeah. them, which uh, a conversation being started from them, which is only a good thing, I would think. Mm. Well, let's let's move on to one of your other conversations you're going to have, Irish stories um, yes. with... Um, Oh, Mark O'Neill, the journalist Mark O'Neill. I feel like you should be in a pub somewhere for that one. <laughs> that would be the ideal. <laughs> so what is that going to be about? I mean, the Irish, of course, are renowned for telling wonderful stories and having wonderful stories to tell. Well, I guess we have such a big diaspora around the world that every country you go to, there'll always be Irish people. You know, I think I saw a couple of Irish pubs near my hotel here. Yes, and everything. You know, they're, they're always going to be there. So uh, I, I often find at festivals around the world when I go to them that there'll be kind of some conversation about Irishness and Irish writers. There's so many great Irish writers who are doing well around the world and, uh, you know, have such great readers around the world. So that's always, that's always encouraging. Last time I was in Hong Kong, which was about five years ago, I think, I was here with Colin Tobin, oh. uh, another uh, fantastic Irish writer. Or I shouldn't say another fantastic Irish writer. I mean, <laughs> a fantastic Irish writer. Um, so, you know, I, I guess we'll be talking about how Ireland has changed in, in recent decades. It's become a much more liberal country than it was certainly when I was growing yeah. up when I was a teenager. Um, I guess we'll be talking about Irish literature uh, and, and all the new, there's a whole new gang of Irish writers that have appeared in the last sort of five years. You know, every time you you, you, you go into a bookshop, there's another new Irish writer, it seems. Um, so I, I imagine we'll be talking about that and perhaps there'll be some Irish people in the audience or uh, people from Hong Kong who just feel a connection to Ireland mm. in, in some way. Uh, what, what would you say is the essence of Irishness, if if there can be such a thing? Uh, I I mean, I think in, I mean, I think in general, we're, we're very welcoming. And, uh, you know, when you're an island culture, and when we have the history that, that we have, most of our history has been blighted by emigration. So I think we have always welcomed immigrants to our country, you know, certainly in the last 20 years, during the big boom times, and so on, there was so many Europeans came to Ireland. And I think we're, I, I hope we are quite a welcoming 
country because we know what it is to send our sons and daughters away during those bad times mm. when there was no work. And, you know, in recent years, it's been a bit like that again. Um, things are getting better again now, but so many people have had to travel to, you know, Australia or America, Canada, Hong Kong, wherever, and, um, and you know, build new lives. So I'd like to think welcoming is, is, the, is good, but... Um, also, we have a beautiful countryside. You yes. know, we, uh, tourism is such a, a big part of, of Ireland. Our our hotels, our restaurants and our pubs, as we mentioned, you know, you can't, yes. every, every town they say, you know, has like one church, two shops and eight pubs or something. You know? <laughs> Got so, the priorities right. <laughs> absolutely, we do. <laughs> I think for me, you know, the, the other thing is that the Irish sense of humour, which has always been very self-deprecating yeah. and, and very, very funny. So. Yeah, and 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 a lot of that, I suppose, comes from the storytelling thing. You know that uh, that you mentioned earlier that we do have that. You know, we like our music, we like our chat, we like to kind of go out and socialise, and um, and it is it's part of our daily life, really, back home. I yeah. mean, there's problems though as well. It's not an idea. It's not you know a utopia right, on earth. Right. It's like like any country. I, I mean, I'm 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 bigging it up here because I'm abroad, you know? <laughs> but it has its own problems. But but no more than any other place, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And then the other session that you're taking part in is the queer question, which is uh, it's called the queer question LGBTQ plus. What, what's that going to focus on? Uh, I, I get, you know, I, I suppose again from the from my perspective, from the Irish perspective, it will be how Ireland went from, you know, when I was in university, for example, in the early nineties, homosexuality was still illegal in Ireland, and yet within twenty two years, we became the first country in the world to vote for equal rights marriage by by public vote. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a blink of an eye in sort of historical terms. Twenty two years. So I, you know, I'm very interested in that some of my last couple of adult novels have have focused a little bit on that about the changes in Ireland, um, but I guess there'll also be the question. And there's three or four other panelists and uh, from from different countries and and how the gay and lesbian experience is treated or welcomed in in other countries uh, i I know at least as far as I understand you can correct me if I'm wrong that Hong Kong it's a little difficult um, yeah it's not illegal but uh, same-sex marriage is not legal and there's all this sort of tinkering around the edges with individual cases to to let same-sex couples have certain rights yeah, yeah. and and which you know I, I, what I find in any country it's it's those teenagers then in school who are growing up and you don't want them to feel ashamed or afraid or vulnerable in some way that actually you want them to be able to grow into a society that's that's welcoming I grew into a society that wasn't particularly welcoming. Mm. It is now. But when I was a teenager, you know, it was quite hard. It was quite can, scary. Can you share some of the stories of what it was like? Um, well, I guess like in school, you know, I mean, because it was still illegal, you know, I went to a Catholic school and, uh, it, you know, it was kind of drummed into us that uh, homosexuality was not just wrong, but it would, you'd get sent to hell and right. um, you could be jailed. It was, it, I mean, it was really, um, it was something that was conducted, I suppose, under cover of night and in the darkness. And whenever you grow, whenever you kind of uh, are, are led into a situation where anything has to happen compulsively in the darkness, it, it makes you feel it's wrong in some way. You know, the one or two gay pubs that there were in Dublin back then um, always had their, their windows blacked out mm. so that, you know, if anybody was walking past, couldn't see who was inside, which makes it feel like it's something seedy or something, yes. something, something morally 
wrong. Yeah. And that's not a healthy environment, I think, for anybody to grow up in. Uh, I mean, I think every country has improved on this, certainly. Even those countries that, uh, as you say here, you know, it's still uh, troubling. I'm sure it's still better than it was 20 years ago, for example. Right. And it will only be get better in 20 years' time. Uh, you know, I think, I do think with each generational change, uh, people become more accepting of what was of what was previously seen as you know too different for society mm. but it's amazing that within your lifetime you've seen the laws change so fast and and obviously there's a lot of pub there was a lot of public support for that to happen yes a huge amount i mean we uh, it was i think 65 66% of people voted uh, yes in that referendum every county but one only roscommon those bad people. I won't say what I want to say. Those bad people Call in Roscommon. <laughs> in their farms at Roscommon, they voted no. But everybody else said, uh, voted yes. And, um, and you know, even our, our, our Prime Minister is gay. Oh, right. And, yeah. you know, he's an out gay man living with his partner and nobody cares. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's just, it's not an issue. But even going back thinking sort of like five, ten years, the idea of that would have been... just. Beyond, beyond him, right? it would have just been impossible, you know, to to imagine. To it. contemplate, yeah. Yeah, now it's just like absolutely nobody cares, and um, and that's a wonderful thing, you know. But then I, you know, the, I remember the day of that referendum. There was a, on on our RTE, which is our main news uh, um, station, uh, saying like at the polling stations. And for example, there was this one man coming out, and he was about ninety, and he was crying. And the reporter asked him, you know, why he was crying. And he said, well, it's, it's too late for me, but it's not too late for, for the younger people coming up. And you do feel that sort of sadness, I suppose, for people that uh, even though they would feel glad that things have changed, there must be that feeling of what a shame it wasn't there. Right. For, they for, led their whole lives. Like, yeah, you know, that they weren't able to find, you know, relationships or live, the, live their own best authentic lives. But, you know, I guess that's just life, that's history. And, um, you know, it, it is a good thing that things are getting better. Mm. And then as far as as far as literature is concerned, how important do you think it is that people can read stories by and about the LGBTQ community? I think most people do now anyway. I don't think, you know, they used to be, when I was um, in my early 20s, I used to work in a bookshop in Dublin. And there was a specific kind of uh, gay and lesbian section, LGBT section, as it would be now. And nowadays, I don't think bookshops really have that so much. It's all... It's all integrated. Well, it's all integrated. Right. You know, you don't need to have those kind of... Uh, we had like, you know, a black writing section. And you think, well, why should there, why should it be, why should it be separated out? We don't call the, the general fiction the white fiction section, you know. <laughs> That's true. Um, the white male fiction uh, section. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as a lot of the time it would be. Um, I think now, you know, those kind of it, things are, are, are just put into just general fiction and and I think people don't read books now thinking oh is this going to be a you know if there's going to be a gay character I'm not interested I, I, I just you know so many main, so many mainstream authors now uh, I mentioned Colin Sabine you know Sarah Waters um, Patrick Gale Christos Cholkas myself you know people that you know are read around mm -hmm. the world um are, are gay writers, but some of their books feature gay characters or are about gay stories. Some, some of them do. don't. You know, it's it's you know we're not exclusively writing about one subject. It's it's whatever subject takes each writer's fancy at a, at a particular time. You know, I've written between the adult books and the kids' books, I've written seventeen novels, but I think maybe 
four of them maybe, maybe five, four or five, um, deal specifically with that subject and, and the rest don't. My next one doesn't. Right. So, you know, I don't think we're obliged to write about that anymore, any more than a reader going into a bookshop feels that that's something that will either draw them to the novel or turn them away from the novel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So can you tell us about what you're working on next or is it... Under, under uh, no, I can't. I, I've got a new novel. Um, it's just in copy edit at the moment, so it's going to come out next summer, next July. And it's a big epic novel. It starts in the year one and it ends in the year 2080. Wow, um, that's so a long it, time. Yeah, it's over 2080 years and over 52 countries. And the general idea of it is that, uh, in a nutshell, that even though over the centuries technology changes and industry changes, the one thing that doesn't change is emotions. Mm. So that, you know, whatever, you know, if something wonderful happened to you today, if you, I don't know, say you, you just it's fell in love or something tonight. In 2019 in Hong Kong, the emotions you would experience would be the same as somebody in, say, the year 500 in Turkey or the year 900 in Ireland. You know, that emotions never change. Grief, love, uh, the feelings between parents and children. So I'm trying to follow, rather than a character through 2000 years, follow an emotion through wow. 2000 years. And it's either going to be really good or a complete mess. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's not going to take you 2000 years to write. <laughs> no, it, it's pretty much finished. It's, it's just in the copy edit now. But, you know, I don't know what people are going to think of it because it's a, it's a sort of an eccentric It's a very novel, interesting concept. If it works, I think it'll be good, but we'll it, see. Can I ask, is it a really long book? It's about 150,000 words, uh, which wouldn't be my longest book. That would be The Hearts of Visible Furies, but I think it's my second longest. Wow. It'd be about sort of 500 pages, I suppose. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. And can I ask you also, what, like, either what are you reading now or what is, it, what is something that you've read recently that you love? Well, I've been reading, I've been, I, I don't know if you know the Costa Novel Award in, in the UK, which is um, an annual award for literature, and I'm on the judging panel for that this year. So I've been reading a lot of those books. But actually on the plane coming over yesterday, I started reading the new Stephen King novel. Oh, really? Um, and uh, I haven't read Stephen King in a while. And, yeah. you know, Stephen King tells a great story. And uh, and I got really into it. It's uh, what's it called The Institute, it's okay. called. And uh, about a, a 12-year-old child who is, you know, just one of these geniuses that, you know, knows everything and can do everything. Um, but there's a sort of a mystery to it. So um, I'm quite enjoying that. You need a good big book like that for a 14-hour yeah, flight. Yeah, I think so, too. Is it one so, of those page-turners that it's really yeah. hard to put down? Okay. Yeah, He's yeah. But he, he tells, like, that's the kind of storyteller he is. And I, as a writer and a reader really value story. I think that sometimes story gets a bad reputation, you know, over the writing. But mm. actually it's story that is what engages us in a novel, you know, something that you want to know what happens what next. What happens next, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, really, really great to have you come on the show and all the best for all the events at the festival. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. And we've been speaking with award-winning Irish author, John uh, Boyne, who's here for the Hong Kong Literary Festival.